Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Smith and Jones on a Thursday. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And it's game day for the Toronto Raptors getting set for a tilt tonight against the Utah Jazz down in Salt Lake City. The first night of a back-to-back for the Raptors. And trying to get back on track following the loss to the Portland Trailblazers a couple of nights ago. And the Blazers getting a big win last night over the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls leading by 15 and the Blazers make the comeback. So Portland may be starting to gain a little bit of steam, a little bit of momentum with you know, back-to-back victories for them. After they were blown out a few nights ago in Denver, they come home and get a couple of victories. So kudos to the Portland Trailblazers. And, uh, you know, this is the West Coast, I guess, Jonesy, where where teams go west, and, and this has been the case for, you know, forever in the NBA. Uh, when you go on that West Coast trip, there aren't a lot of gimmies on the schedule, a ton of tough games, and it seems to always kind of bite those Eastern Conference teams when they head west, even a team like the Bulls, as well as they're playing this year, Chicago at a 10-5 and record, you know, and coming off a win uh, over L.A. the other night, things seem to be rolling, and boom, they get bit by the Blazers. Uh, you know, E, I just think it's the nature of, of basketball. Um, and I know uh, I, I wanna, I'd like to talk about uh, the Lakers after watching them last night. And I, I think when you take those long, extended trips, um, teams, are, teams are waiting for you, uh, especially if you're a good team. Uh, you know that you, you come to their building once in the east-west uh, portion, you know, makeup of the schedule, and they they wait for you. Uh, and and uh, you know if you're if you're on an extended trip and it's your like the Bulls, your your third or fourth game in there, they it's tough. It 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 really is. It's it's hard to win in this league consistently. And uh, look at Portland. They got as you said, they got blown out. Come home. Uh, get well a couple of games back to back and now they've you know they're on a two game win streak they got it rolling and you know we did the game I really thought Toronto should have won that game I, I really did I, I mean the defense wasn't great but uh, you look at it if you're the Raptors that's that's a game that you you kind of like get away so it's it's just a, I think it's just the nature of the league and um, the travel all of those things that maybe we don't think make a difference they add up and they make a difference they definitely they definitely do they definitely do jonesy and and you know that's why as cliche as it is and we've talked about it ad nauseum over the years and this goes for all sports uh, it is cliche but it's it's also true those games in november in october they matter just as much as those games that come in march or April, right? It's not just yeah. late in the season or whatever. It's those games in the early stages where, oh, we're still finding ourselves. Oh, we're eventually going to get to that point. No, those ones matter just as much because it's, you know, when it comes down to, I mean, look what just happened with the Toronto Blue Jays, and we'll talk about them later in the show as well. But that one game coming down to the final game of the season, it can make a difference. So you might want to look back and say, oh, that game on March 15th. No, it could have been that game on the second night of the season or the 10th night of the season that bites you just as bad. Uh, absolutely, E, and and you know what, you know what it. Uh, somebody, one of my buddies, likened it to this, and I, I I dig the analogy. You know, when you're a college student and you 
you're kind of scrimping and saving to get get by. You know, you know, you only got two pairs of pants and three or four shirts, and you're wearing sweats to class most of the time. And you know, you're you and your buddies are pooling money together to, you know, to to get a pizza delivered or whatever. And then right. after they after the pizza's delivered and everybody's eaten and it's it's all gone, you're cleaning up, and and one of the cushions is bad, you know, and you pick up the cushion, and you find like like three loonies and a toonie under there. You're like, yes, like, yeah, baby. Like I I just had to put six bucks in for the pizza. And look, I got five of it back and I've already had pizza to eat, you know? And it's, those are the games at the beginning of the year. Like you said, those are the ones at the beginning of the year that you're, you're, you're scratching for in March and April. It's like, Hey man, you, you, you know, if you're the Raptors, you let, you let Cleveland take the lead from you with four seconds left in the game. And, Nobody cares about how it looks. They got the W and you got the L. Like those, those are the ones that you look back on. And as you said, the Jays, one game, one game. You know, you play 162, but one of them costs you. So it, it just uh, it just goes to prove the importance of all of them. Um, listen, we want to talk about the Jazz because the Raptors are playing the Jazz tonight. But the team they have tomorrow night, and we'll get into this more tomorrow, I'm sure, as well. They've got Sacramento on the second night of the back-to-back. The Kings lose last night in Minnesota to the Timberwolves, 107-97 the final. Sacramento, 6-9 and nine on the season. And Canadian Tristan Thompson uh, kind of went off after the game last night. Now, he was just answering a question, and I'm not entirely sure I disagree with what he said, but it certainly made some headlines. Let's If you missed it, this is Tristan Thompson after the Kings' loss to the Wolves last night. No man in this world should rely on another man to inspire them. Point bang player. You could put that in all capitals. Me personally, no one should ever need a coach to inspire you. If you don't get inspired in a the game, then you shouldn't be on the court. Losing teams, losing players, you need to get inspiration from your coach. And I'm not, I'm not with that my teammates better not be with my teammates aren't with it because I know I know guys want to win and they want to win badly. So it's not about Coach Wallen inspiring you. This is not no freaking glory road. No, you got to be ready to play. Your number's called you in the damn game. I don't need a coach to, to, to inspire me. Never that, never have, never will. The day I need a coach to inspire me is the day I'm retired. I'm going to go play with my kids in the park. So uh, I speak for my teammates with, with that quote. So we don't need no coach to inspire us. I know Towns is a good player, but, you know, we had a game plan for him. And, yes, you know, you want to force him left, but if he gets right, your teammates got to have your back. You got to help your team. It's the same way where if I get B and I want my teammate to be there, I got to be there for him. That's part of being on a string, and that's how you build a defensive mentality. And the league is hard. It's hard to win. You know, we don't have the luxury of having, you know, that that, that go-to guy like a, like a LeBron, a Kawhi, or a PG, or a Jason Tatum, or Luka. We got to win collectively. So those little things, like with, with Towns, or even with Anthony Edwards, we got to shrink and show bodies and make them second-guess the move they're about to make. Man, Jonesy, talk about not holding back. <laughs> well, and he's, look, and he's not wrong either, right? No, no. I, our next guest, uh, he's, I know he's got some opinions on this. Yeah, bring him in if you like. Time. Go ahead, yeah. Hey, Frank, Frank Isola from, uh, well, I, a number of media outlets. I see him on ESPN. I listen to him on the starting lineup on Sirius XM, NBA radio. 
uh, formerly of the Daily News, where I couldn't couldn't wait to uh, get to the back page to see what he had to say uh, when I was when I had my time in New York. Frankie, boys, what's up? See, the difference is it's serious. We don't have to uh, beep out the curse words, even though we did. <laughs> I don't like I don't like all the cursing and stuff. So we do we do we use the beep as well on uh, Tristan Thompson. I guess he's. It sounds like he's kind of sticking up. Luke Walton, and then yeah. when I, the more I heard, I'm thinking he's probably going to be a prime buyout candidate. So I'm thinking, where's Tristan Thompson going to end up with the Lakers, the Heat, the Brooklyn Nets, something like that at some point this season? Frank, you know that um, Tristan. I mean, Tristan's been on good teams, and he understands us. And there, I'm sure there are some yeah. rumblings about Luke Walton and the job, and you know what what's going on, motivating guys, and. It, that's only part of coaching. And I, there's, as Eric said, there's part of me that agrees with Tristan. A, a team like Sacramento, they've, they've been moving in fits and starts the whole time. Do they need that from a guy who's got a ring to say, hey, listen, man, you want to win? This is stuff you have to do. Oh, I, I think it's a good thing for him to say, too. Because, you know, everyone wants to buy into the cliches about, oh, the coach has got to get you guys ready to play. Here's the thing with the uh, Sacramento Kings organization. I'm looking at it right now. 05-06 was the last time they made the playoffs. That's a whole generation of NBA players have come and gone since the last time they made the playoffs. That is a long time ago. And they've had a bunch of coaches since then. This is year three of Luke Walton. They're 6-9. You want to blame Luke Walton? Go right ahead because then you blamed Dave Yeager, George Carl, Michael Malone. You know They've been down this road before. So I, I, I think it's... I think that actually shows leadership there, what uh, Tristan Thompson did. You know, Frank, it's interesting, too, when you talk about a whole generation of players. You know, this might be a a little bit extreme to some extent, but it's also uh, at least part of a generation of fans. And I've got to assume as an organization, you've got to be concerned about that. You you move out of Arco, you get the brand new, you know, downtown building, and and you're trying to cultivate a fan base and, and, you know, bring the King's lure back. And now you got... Man, last time you know a, a team in the playoffs. If you were if you were ten years old, you're twenty five now, and you still haven't seen your team in the playoffs. Yeah. You got to be worried no, about cultivating a fan base and season seat holders too, right? No, it, it, it's a great call. I mean, you know, it is kind of a bit of a one horse town out there. So the fact that they have a professional team, I'm sure people like that. But you know, I was actually at the game when they made the conference finals. That was all the way back, I guess, oh one oh two season. When Pedro Stojakovic, at the end of regulation, he had a corner three. If he hits it, they would have beaten the Lakers in game seven of the conference finals. He misses that shot, and then, the, of course, the Lakers prevailed. And over time, they go on to beat the Brooklyn Nets. I'm sorry, the New Jersey Nets at the time in the NBA Finals. They, you know, they had some great teams back then. You think about the job that they did, the trades that they made, getting Vladi Divac and Chris Webber, and obviously drafting Pedro Stojakovic, Hito Turkoglu, Mike Bibby. They had some good teams. And this this also goes back to how everyone thinks the end-all, be-all is the draft lottery. Now, the Warriors built through the draft with uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green was a second-round pick. But Sacramento every year is ending up in the lottery, and every year they keep missing out on the playoffs. So it's not just about being in the lottery. It's about picking the right player. And it seems like Cleveland probably did that with Evan Mobley. It seems like Toronto probably did that. With Scotty Barnes, so you can get high picks, but you got to draft right. We we talk about it all the time, Frank. There's teams that they book their 
ticket to their spot to the draft lottery in Secaucus regularly. I mean, Sacramento, Minnesota, like you, and and you got to do something with it. I mean, there are people up here before the Raptors started their run seven, eight years ago. Oh, a tank, you know, go in the tank and 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 you know get the number one pick. It'll be a Canadian, Andrew Wiggins, and no, no, like winning is is never a bad thing. And and I'm with you. You can be in the lottery all you want. It's about drafting, developing, and and retaining these guys. So uh, I, I like that Tristan spoke up. I, I, yeah, I, you know I like that Tristan spoke up. Uh, when the draft lottery used to be in Secaucus, New Jersey, you know, we used to go there, you know, all the time to cover it. And, you know, they, they would actually have a nice setup because, A, they'd put this big tent up and they would feed us. And since all these big-time executives <laughs> were throwing, showing up, you know we were getting good food, so you know the media likes that. I'll never forget the year it was – Pat Riley was there, Larry Bird, and Jerry West. You know, it's, you know three kind of high-level guys in, in NBA history, NBA lore. All three of them looked miserable that they were there. And it wasn't just because they were in Secaucus, New Jersey. Obviously, they were spending the night in New York City, and they were going to get a good meal. It's You know, they, they looked at it as the loser's ball, right? Like, what, like, what do we do now? Other teams are in, are in the conference finals and I'm here at the draft lottery. And then you have those other organizations, and I get it. The marketing departments get involved. They treat it like it's the greatest thing. I'm going to wear my lucky pin, and we're going to do this. We're going to do that. They think it's like a celebration being in the draft lottery. <laughs> it's a little bizarre. It's a, you know, I've never thought of it like that, Frank. But you, you're, oh, yeah. you're, you're bang on, and it's it's iron. It's ironic as well that we're talking about all this about Sacramento, about Tristan, whatever. When the team that beat them last night, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and Jones, you just kind of briefed on it as you as you you know glaze by all these teams that are perennially seemingly in the lottery. I mean, you had the stat once, Jones, or at least you were keeping a running total. You bring it out every time we play the Timberwolves. You have this like stat or or some sort of graph in your computer. You always bring out about top 10 not just not just first round but top 10 draft picks that the Timberwolves have or had on their roster and you know Frank this is a team just to switch gears from Sacramento a bit Minnesota 5 and 9 again not setting the world on fire yet again and 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 Tristan Thompson referencing Carl Anthony Towns in in that comment I mean at what point does Towns want the heck out of Minnesota cuz yet again here we go they're not even a treadmill team they're just a bad team year after year yeah, and I would say this. So, you know, they were really poor for a long time. Then they hired Tom Thibodeau, and I like Tom. I think he's a good coach. So Tom comes in, and by year two, they make the playoffs. In fact, I think they had the second-best record in the Western Conference until Jimmy Butler got hurt after the All-Star break. He ended up returning, and that's when they beat Denver on the final night of the season to get the eighth seed. And everyone in the organization was miserable because Tom – you know, wanted to hold people accountable, and he wanted the team to get better. And Carl Anthony Towns, the two best years that he had was when Tom was a coach there. It was almost as if Tom ruined everything because they like making their plane reservations <laughs> to go on vacation on April 15th because you can get a good deal on a flight if you book it months in advance. And it's almost as if Tom came in and, whoa, 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 playoffs. What are we making the playoffs for? So, of course, <laughs> they couldn't wait to get rid of Tom. And, of course, when Tom left, oh, our culture now will be so much better. Go check out their record since Tom left. So there is, you know, when you talk about yeah. culture and accountability and standards, they got to figure something out there in Minnesota because it hasn't been good. And I know the owner is selling the team, and that's probably going to be a good thing there. But you know, Carl and I like Carl, and my, my you know, my family knows Carl and his family. But you know, a few months after Tom got fired, he really you know piled on. Oh, our culture now will be so much better. But Carl has to be honest with himself. The best years that he's had was when Tom was his coach. 
Well, Frank, and the other thing about Tibbs, too, and people don't like this, as, as you guys call it, you know, the NBA minutes police. Well, look, he's playing the guy 39 minutes. I'm thinking, like, well, if he's your best player and you want to win, why why would you limit his minutes? Like, like the guys guys have got to play. And the people, oh, Tibbs doesn't use the bench. He runs guys into the ground. Well, hey, hold on a second. These guys are being paid a lot of money. They it, It's about winning. They're the best players. He's playing these guys. Like, there, there's no... The, the dots connect very easily. And I, I just, I mean, I, I look at that. You know, Tibbs left and, you know, he got Jimmy Butler in there. He got some people in there that wanted to win. And I, there are a lot of teams that uh, sometimes treat this like it's the PAL League in, in, in New York. It's I, not. It's yeah. This is big-time basketball. And, and, you know, you looked even this season. Now, I know Giannis missed a game with a legitimate injury, but he's playing all the time. He's logging a ton of minutes. Kevin Durant has played in every game thus far. Same thing with James Harden. Now, I know tonight um, Steph Curry is listed as questionable in Cleveland. Um, They're saying it's a hip. And this is the start of three games in four nights. They play Cleveland, Detroit, then they go back to San Francisco on Sunday and play your Raptors. So, you know, they're probably probably giving him a load management day, which kind of stinks for the people of Cleveland who bought tickets because they want to see Steph Curry, who, by the way, was born in Akron, just like LeBron was. But I think for the most part, the star players play a lot. And, you know, if you go back, you know, Tom always had a great line when he was an assistant coach at the Knicks and they were playing the San Antonio Spurs in the finals. He kept saying, I wish Greg Popovich would take Tim Duncan and David Robinson out. They were playing 40, 40 minutes a night all the time. Like, I wish they, would, they were load managing those guys back in the 99 NBA finals. Speaking with Frank Isola from Sirius XM, NBA Radio is the starting lineup. You see him on Around the Horn and PTI on ESPN, all over the place. I, I'm sure I missed a bunch of things on the resume, but that's where they know you from most, Frank. Um, listen, when you talk about Steph Curry and the, and the Warriors, 12-2 and two to start the season. And Jones and I were chatting about this yesterday, You know, kind of projecting forward and, and trying to play the math game, Frank, or projecting about the possibility of him setting the new benchmark in NBA history for three-point shooting against the Raptors, a, a team obviously where his dad used to play and he used to get up shots in Toronto at Air Canada Centre way back in the day and whatnot. It'd be a feel-good story and everything. And as you said, the Warriors and the Raptors playing on Sunday. But it's kind of scary, Frank, to think about how good this team has been this year, still without Clay Thompson, and the way that they have balanced and, and balanced so well the veteran pieces with the young pieces and finding a way to develop and win and win well, win a lot, at the same time, that's that's a rarity in pro sports, let alone in the NBA. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. They're kind of rebuilding, but still are, are winning games. Now, you know, the schedule has worked out for them. They played mostly home games at the start of the year, just like the Clippers and just like the Lakers. You know, those teams seem to just play all their games in California. But they have come east. They had a great performance the other night against the Brooklyn Nets. Curry is phenomenal. I think right now, and I know in the NBA, it's the one sport where we go nuts over the MVP. I would have to say right at this very minute, he would be the guy. That's how well he's playing. And Draymond Green is excellent. You know, his leadership on the court, talking on defense, he just makes the right play all the time. But they have some guys like Jordan Poole, who's played well. Your guy, Andrew Wiggins, has played well. And we know, you know, they're going to get Clay Thompson back. And maybe Clay Thompson, to start out with, won't be Clay Thompson. And you know, they'll, they'll take it easy with him. The minutes aren't going to be a lot. You know, I'm sure he won't play in back to backs. But I think they're probably thinking, can Clay Thompson you know, get back to a high level by maybe March or April. Because remember, Kevin Durant last year, you know, was coming back after, you know, missing 500 days with an Achilles injury. 
And when he returned and played, it took him a while. But, hey, come the playoffs last year, especially those games he had against Milwaukee, he was back to being Kevin Durant again. And their problem was that James Harden and Kyrie Irving were hurt, or else they probably would have beaten the Milwaukee Bucks and probably had a terrific chance to win a championship. But what the Warriors have done, they just you, – you watch everyone on their team. Everyone plays hard. They cut hard to the basket. Against the Brooklyn Nets, they just had – much more of an edge to them, and then give Curry credit. He knows how to put on a show, and you mentioned it. So we'll see what happens on Sunday. It's going to be his first game back in San Francisco. He's going to have a chance, like you said, with that three-point record. He might he might put on a show at the expense of the Toronto Raptors on Sunday. Well, that would uh, that would I, I believe he's in the top five guys, along with Iverson, Wade, LeBron that have their highest career average against a single team. And it happens to be the Raptors. So I, it, it wouldn't surprise me. And, and, and Frank, they're a team they've reloaded really quickly. And, 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 you know, they're, if they stay healthy, they're going to be in the mix again. And the way they play has a lot to do with it. And I'm looking at the other end, you know, you talked about uh, teams that played a lot of home games. I look at the Lakers. I watched them last night and I, I know it's early. We're only at the quarter pole. But you see the die being cast. And I, I, if you're a Laker fan, you got to be a little bit worried. Like you're, LeBron's hurt, and now he's, he's starting to get these, oh, he's, he's just out for a few games. He just, he's just coming yep. back from an injury. Yep. And it's happened three or four times, and that's how father time gets you. He doesn't tackle you. He, he, he kind of he trips you, and you get up, and he pushes you down, and, he, and you get up again, and he pushes you out of bounds, and pretty soon you're done. And, and I, I'm not saying LeBron's done, but – these injuries seem to be coming with more frequency. And then when you get him back, Frank, Russell Westbrook now, who's used to having the ball all the time, is, is he going to be one of those guys that cuts hard and, and, and stands in the corner and, and plays catch and shoot or, you know, sets screens and does other stuff? He's had the ball in his hands his whole life. So what do you do with the chemistry there? Yeah, it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. And, you know, you bring up a great point because they're eight and eight. And they've already played 12 home games. Yes. So 12 of their 16 games have taken place at Staples Center. And then, you know, LeBron, again, that's a terrific point by you because, LeBron, I'm looking at his minutes right now. For the regular season in his career, he's at 50,000 minutes for his career. And then in the playoffs, I believe he's just at about, uh, I think it's 11,000. So all, I mean, the guys at 11,000 minutes. So he's played 61 thousand minutes in his career on december 30th he's going to turn 37 years old and you know him taking a while to come back from injuries i can't knock him for that i mean you know he's trying to keep himself fresh throughout the season and he still has to carry the team and how about last night so you're going up against Giannis antetokounmpo who bullied kevin durant at points in game seven of their series who bullied deandre ayton in the nba finals and last night anthony davis wanted no part of him no. He wanted no. absolutely no part. Like, you know, somebody made a good joke. They said when when um, Frank Vogel said, you got the Greek tonight, and he said, all right, I'll take the Nassus. And they said, no, 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 no. Giannis. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, to me, that was, you know, when we talk about leadership, like he needs to be out there guarding Giannis. And Giannis absolutely bullied them. He had 47 points last night. Yeah. Yeah. Frank, I, I don't know that it's a fair comparison, but speaking of another older guy, an elder statesman in the league, not slowing down, I'll, I'm going to stay in the Western Conference. The Phoenix Suns, and it's not one guy, 
But, man, Chris Paul looks pretty damn good still, and the Suns now 10 in a row sitting right on the heels of the Warriors. I honestly, I'm not saying last year was a blip, but I did not anticipate Phoenix coming back as strong as their finals run last year, and, and, and clearly I'm wrong. I mean, they look damn good yet again. Yeah, and you're right, and they started out 1-3, and three, and you think, ah, maybe the last year was a bit of a fluke. Now they've run off 10 straight wins. Now the schedule hasn't been crazy. When you look at even last night, they get Dallas, and they don't have to play Luka Doncic. But I saw the fourth quarter of that game, and you know you could just tell that it's a team that's kind of been through the war now at one time because just the way that they play, especially down the stretch, they move the ball. I mean, it's not just Chris Paul, but – you know, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, and then you have, you know, Devin Booker, who's just a terrific player, and he can make such tough shots, and DeAndre Ayton had a good game. That team is legit, and that's why, you know, you look at the Western Conference, and it does seem a lot more wide open than it's been in years past, because you do have the Warriors. I still think Denver could be a tough team. The Utah Jazz, the Lakers, who we think, you know, eventually maybe things could figure out. That, to me, is probably the most exciting thing about the NBA, is that this year it seems to be a lot more wide open than it's been in years past. And, to, again, to your point, Phoenix has been great. I mean, 10 straight wins at this at this point of the season. You know, they haven't lost yet in the month of November. They, they're, uh, they're, they haven't suffered one defeat yet in this month. Frank, um, you know, as we look at the West, the, the, thing, the guys, the team that's kind of surprising me a little, and it, it might sound crazy to say it, but – how well the Clippers are playing without Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, everybody's wanted Paul George to step forward. Again, we're we're approaching the quarter pole of the season. But he's played really, really well for them. And if this is going to set a tone for them, uh, you know, they, and they get some guys back, they get a Sergi Baca back, they get, the, you know, the some of these, these, these youngsters kind of round into form and understand the system and what Ty Lue's trying to do. Um, the, the Clippers have shown me something, at least early on. No, I, I completely agree. And, you know, Paul George, who, you know, a lot of times we like to mock him for things that he said or things that or you know, disappearing sometimes in these fourth quarters. But right now they're they're 9-5, and five, and their best player, Kawhi Leonard, hasn't played a single game yet. You know, some of their role players have played well, but I also think it speaks to Tyron Lue, who probably doesn't get yes. the credit that he deserves. And I think, you know, a, because he won a championship with LeBron on your team, so any coach doesn't really get the credit he deserves when you do have LeBron. But I thought last year, you know, it, it kind of floated under the radar because it was so nutty, everything that happened. But, you know, they beat the Utah Jazz learning that Kawhi Leonard suffered a devastating injury, wasn't going to be able to play. They ended up winning game five and six, and they made it to the first ever conference finals in that franchise's history. That, you know, they had a terrific run, and they're not giving up on this season by any stretch of the imagination. You know, they're tied for fourth place, or actually tied for third place right now in the Western Conference at nine and five. And I think I think Paul George very quietly, considering how much he gets mocked and kind of poked and made fun of, I think he's very quietly put together a nice little start to the season. Frank, I, I got one more for you before we let you go. Um, three teams in the East that people probably didn't expect to be where they were: Washington. Uh, Chicago, people hated the move, you know, the DeRozan move, and they weren't sure about all the other stuff, and, and Chicago looks good. And then Cleveland, it's unfortunate that Evan Mobley is going to be out for a bit. Do they all keep it up to the same extent where they are now, especially Washington? I think Chicago 
will I think Washington does have a chance to finish in the in the top four. Last night, you know, they only scored eighty seven points and I think they were eight of forty two on threes. I mean they they were awful shooting the ball. But you know, Tommy Shepard, the GM there, you know, they gave John Wall a contract, which has got to be one of the worst contracts ever. And so they get out of the contract by bringing in Russell Westbrook, who last year helped them get into the playoffs. Then they turn Russell Westbrook into three guys with championship experience, Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. So essentially you turn John Wall into three very good role players, and right now you have the, you know, the best record in the Eastern Conference. That's a home run for the Wizards. So give Tommy Shepard credit, and guess what? They did give him credit because he just got a contract extension and a promotion, and I thought the Chicago Bulls, what they did. I mean, here are the Lakers. You know, you're trying to get DeMar DeRozan. You can't figure out a way to get him. He wants to play there. Alice Caruso wants to stay in L.A. And then you have the former Laker, Lonzo Ball. He ends up in Chicago. So the Bulls get DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, and Alice Caruso. That is an absolute home run by that front office because all three of those guys can play. All three of them have already made significant contributions. And I think Zach Levine is legit. I think he's going to be an all-star this year. I think the Olympic experience that he had playing for the national team has been really good for him, spending a lot of time around Kevin Durant. They're legit. And I think, uh, you know, I, and Cleveland, I like Cleveland because I, I like Jared Allen a lot when he played for the Brooklyn Nets. I'm a little, it's too bad that Evan Moe, because I did the game last night for the Yes Network, and the Nets played the Cavs. Neither Jared Allen played, but I really wanted to see Evan Mobley, and now he could be out a month with that elbow injury. Hey, Frank, we appreciate the time today, man. Thanks for joining us. We could have kept you the entire hour, but we won't. We'll just bug you again another uh, few weeks or a month by, or whatever. All, all the best. How about, how about your game the other night, Canada-Mexico? That was pretty good. Yes. 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 Were you watching? I, we know you're a soccer guy, Frankie. Oh, I was watching. It was Well, by the way, so um, the kid Alistair Johnson, who took the shot that led to the goal, I saw him mm-hmm. play in college because he played for St. John's and he went to Wake Forest. And then I saw, um, is it Kyle Laren, right? He played. For UConn, yep. I actually saw him play. I saw him play for UConn. Everyone was talking about it. I said, oh, this guy ain't that good. Now, that game, he was terrible. He's been pretty good for Canada, I'll tell you that. He's, yeah. he's been damn good, and he's a national hero right now with a couple of goals the other night. Uh, and, and obviously, what a big a, showdown coming up in January now with Canada and the U.S. That's going to be the next one where, on, the, uh, on the schedule. Where is that game going to be played? Calgary it's, on the ice? Where uh, is that game going to be? The, none the, of the, the rumor. No, the rumor is, the rumor is it's going to be in, in Hamilton. In Hamilton, Ontario, tucked between Toronto and Buffalo, uh, at uh, at at they're saying probably at Tim Hortons Field, which is uh, where the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL play. So it'll be an outdoor game in January. It'll be, uh, Are you it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I got to be honest with you. I think they should play in March. I think in January because of the weather. I get the game the other night. Okay, play outdoors. I think in January they should go into the Big O, the Olympic Stadium in Montreal and play. Well, that thing's falling apart, though. <laughs> he might be dodging concrete if he go play there. So <laughs> That's going to be fun, though. Frankie, All I, right. I'm up for playing just across the border of Anchorage. Play up in Yukon. Play up in the Yukon. There you go. <laughs> you guys got you got a you had a huge home field advantage against Mexico. You could tell those those guys were miserable on <laughs> the cold. Wow. <laughs> All the best, Frank. All right, guys. Thanks, Frankie. 
There is Frank Isola from SiriusXM. NBA's radio is the uh, the starting lineup. I say NBA's radio. NBA radio's starting lineup. ESPN's around the horn. PTI as well. And uh, you know him. He's all over NBA coverage and print, radio, broadcast, TV, or otherwise. He's all over the place. Uh, we'll continue our conversation on the NBA and a little more focused on the Toronto Raptors in just a couple of moments. But before we break here, Jonesy, step aside for a moment. I did bring up uh, the all-time scoring against the Toronto Raptors. Who did you say? I, I mean, we knew Iverson was number one. Who did, who did you think? Five, top five, I thought, were... Um, uh, you don't even have to give Iverson. it to me in order. It, yeah. Okay, here's five. Here's five. Iverson, LeBron, Wade, Steph, and uh, I think Durant. So Durant is sixth. Wade is not oh. even in the top ten. Oh, okay. Allen Iverson, James... Okay. Allen Iverson, James Harden, Steph Curry, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. Of course. Six is Durant. Seven is Trey Young, but he's only played eight games. Uh, Damian Lillard is uh, eight. Luka Doncic, nine, only six games. Carmelo Anthony, ten. So technically, if we pulled out Trey Young and Luka Doncic because they played less than ten games, then Wade would be up there because Wade has actually played the second most games ever against the Raptors. LeBron has played 56 games against the Raptors. Uh, Dwayne Wade, 43. And it's funny, if you go down a little bit further into like the top 15, top 20, believe it or not, only 15 career games, but still, Carl Malone is on the list. He wouldn't have had that many games against the Raps, and Carl Malone is in the top 20. Well, there are guys that they just, I mean, some guys just, they look at Toronto, especially in the early years and an expansion franchise, and they just, in the words of Shaquille O'Neal, barbecue chicken, like they just, <laughs> there's just no way to stop them. There was no, I, I still remember, the, it'll be in the book one day, E, when Brendan Malone and Isaiah Thomas were were at it. Brendan wanted to win as a coach, and Isaiah wanted wanted lottery balls, especially early on. Uh, he wanted to be competitive, but, but he would take lottery balls if, if, if they came his way, they played Orlando once at the dome and Isaiah was on Brendan about the lineup and Brendan put five, two guards on the floor. Like he had Jimmy King, Vincenzo Esposito, um, uh, out there with Damon Stoudemire, Willie Anderson, and like Alvin Robertson or something. And, Orlando's got Shaq, Penny, Horsegrant, and like the difference was like, I think it's still the worst ever lost in Raptors franchise history, like something like 47 or 46, 47 points. It's just, so yeah, it, 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 these teams just looked at Toronto back in those days. And that's when I was doing the games and it was like, you know, Toronto's in the NBA, but they're not really in the NBA. We're, we're, we're the sparring partner, you know? Yeah. I'm a pro boxer, but I take I take punches from from Muhammad Ali and, and Joe Fraser. That's my role as a, as a pro boxer. It was unbelievable. Well, hopefully the Raptors not getting knocked around tonight in Utah, trying to get back on track with a victory against the Jazz. Always tough to play in Salt Lake City, and we will chat about that and more in a moment right here on Smith and Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. 
Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts, rate and review as the Toronto Raptors tonight in Utah, in Salt Lake City, specifically getting set for a tilt against the Jazz. Utah coming in at 9-5, and five, sitting third in the Western Conference. The Raptors have dipped below 500 at 7-8. and eight. They've lost two in a row, and they're coming off the loss just a couple of nights ago in Portland to the Blazers, and uh, always tough to go into Utah and get a victory for any team. One of the best fan bases in the league, one of the uh, loudest arenas in the league as well. They are right on top of you in Salt Lake City. And to talk about this game and so much more, former NBA player and uh, jazz pre- and post-game analyst, bring into the conversation Thurl Bailey. Thanks for the time today. My pleasure. How are you guys this morning? All good, Thurl. We're, we're doing well. We're doing well, Thurl. Uh, this game tonight, uh, from a, let's let's look at it from a Raptors perspective for a second. As I was just saying, Thurl, always tough to walk into that building in Salt Lake City and win. It's one of the toughest in the league to do so. As I said, because of the fans and the noise and the, the crowd being right on top of you. Um, what have you seen, Thurl? From from I'm sure you know watching some games and scouting the next opponent and everything else. What have you seen from Toronto uh, that you that you like, perhaps? But but something perhaps that you might think that the Jazz could try to expose in tonight's game. Well, I really like the way that Siakam's developed um, and and turned into a, a, a go-to guy. Um, I think he's you know he's, he's surrounded by some some really good players. So the the thing that I see is, you know, you talked about this crowd for the Jazz and walking into this building. You know, it, it's still early in the season, but I'm not sure the Jazz have proven that they could hold home court yet. They've had some issues with three-point shot making and defense in particular. I'm not in that particular order because if you ask them what their identity is, they'll go right to defense. Um, and they did a better job against Philly. Of course, Philly didn't have Embiid. But still, I think the Jazz needed the kind of win they had against Philly to really understand what they need to do consistently. And, and, and to tell you the truth, Toronto's one of those teams that can come in and, and surprise you in your own building. Thurl, what, what, what kind of, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but maybe expectations are another way to put it, are on this Jazz team. They've done, they've had some good regular seasons. They really have. Um, and and I and I get the feeling in Salt Lake City and and from the Jazz fan base is, it's like okay enough of this show me some success, uh, you know <laughs> post April show like like this is great like we've you 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 put the dance steps on the floor you're moving nice take the dance steps away put the music on and let me see what you have I, I get the feeling that people are getting a little bit a little bit antsy and they want a little bit more success. Love that dance floor analogy. That's 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 pretty much where <laughs> where the Jazz are right now. Um, and you know, I always believe, and and I I learned this from my days at NC State under Jimmy V. Um, I always believe that you've got to talk about, you've got to, if the ultimate goal is to win a championship, and you feel like you have the pieces to to get there. That has to be your talk. That has to be your, your your kind of gauge throughout the season. You're going to lose some and win some, but the ultimate goal is to get to that next step. And you're right. The expectations, particularly from this team, and, and, and we've heard uh, GM Justin Zanuck talk about it. He says, we have the pieces in place to align ourselves to win a, a, an NBA championship. And I believe that's true, and, and that's not something based on just 
this year. But I think, as you mentioned, the work, the the progress this Jazz team has made, um, it, it should be about, you know, you, you, you had the best regular season record in NBA. You got kicked out of the playoffs early. Injuries were the bug. Those things you can't control. But this regular season is really a gauge of building up to that and managing your roster and your team to be able to be there when that time comes. So in answer to your question, yeah, it's there's championship talk in that locker room. Thurl, is that talk realistic? I'd say from the outside looking in, it is because of the talent that they have, that the, the ability to play on both ends. To me, they're still a fine offensive team with a lot of weapons, but then you speak about them being a team that clearly is rooted in defense and has that defensive mindset. They got the defensive player of the year, multi-time defensive player of the year. But when you put it all together, is, is do you think the championship aspiration, is it real? Is it a reality that they should truly be on that path? Well, I answer like this. I think it's as good as anyone's in the league. Mm-hmm. And so, and a lot of that, again, the controllable things, right? Health, you can't. They're managing guys like Mike Conley. Probably won't see him on back-to-backs. Um, they brought some, you know, potential young players in that potentially will will compensate for some of that rest. I mean, they're not the same players, but a Trent Forrest and a Jared Butler are going to be guys who are, who are, I think, capable young players of coming in and, and making an impact. You've got another great uh, rim protector in Hassan Whiteside, along with the best defender in the world and Rudy Gobert, rim, rim protector in the world. And so you've, and you've got a team that has multiple guys who can make shoot the three, and I think they're starting to go down. Um, and the best six man in the league. So the pieces are there, no question about it. Uh, so I believe they are capable. Uh, and, you know, the, the problem with that, uh, maybe, maybe it's the problem, maybe it's not, is you, you become a target. Teams are preparing for you, right? They're, they're trying to pick out your weaknesses, maybe sometimes in the mid-range of transition defense. And the Jazz understand that, and they have to get consistent at being able to be the team that they know they can be night in, night out, even – and losses, you've got to be in a position to win games in the end. Thurl, talk to us about uh, Donovan Mitchell as a leader. He, he's just he's just emerged so quickly, um, and and really has has proven his his ability on the offensive end. Um, you know his leadership. I look at all the stuff that was going on in the bubble too, uh, especially in a, a time of social unrest. That he was really. Uh, boisterous he he really spoke up on things i just i just look at him i love his leadership qualities uh, how does how does the rest of the team take to that uh, you know as the jazz are well hoping to to get into the nba finals and win a championship donovan is a superb leader and and i've been able to to be here and watch him grow and he he came onto the scene as a basketball player with, with a splash i mean i think the people knew he was good but he really surpassed the expectations in becoming, um, you know, on his way to being a superstar player. Uh, you could tell that after games and, who, you know, who the first players from the opposition to come over and whisper in his ear and give him a hug were, you know, future Hall of Famers. And so 
um, he has really become in a system, right, in, in a system here in Utah that doesn't cater to one or two guys, right, but but it depends on a guy like Donovan to to lead that lead that group on the court, be a playmaker, get his own, um, and, and also be the voice. You know, be the voice in the locker room and be the voice away from the locker room in, in those instances that you mentioned that the Jazz need to be represented. So he's really matured in that sense. And, um, you know, and that's for, for a, what people call a small market team who maybe historically has, didn't, hasn't really had that, especially in a young player like that in these times. It's, just, it's refreshing. It's great to see. And uh, and we're expecting Donovan to, to have a, another amazing All-Star season. You know, Thor, I want to stay on that topic for a second because e- even just towards the end there when you mentioned small markets, to me that puts that much more onus, uh, pressure, responsibility on a, a, a player and certainly on a star player because you might be the only game in town. You know, it, mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, large cities that have teams in the NHL and the NBA and the NFL, Major League Baseball. There's there's a lot to be distracted by. When you're the, the only team in town, the only pro team in town, there's going to be that much more of a spotlight. And, and, and to me, that obviously puts the onus, as I say, and the responsibility on that star player to really be that much more involved in the community and standing up that much more for the team and being the front piece and the, and, and the, and the one to speak for on behalf of the team, et cetera. You've seen it firsthand as a player, let alone, as you said now, watching Donovan Mitchell specifically. What has he done or how has he changed in a positive way in, in, in terms of that maturation process that you spoke of? Well, I think all those things you described – as a team and as a community are, are all bonuses. I mean, after 30 years, I'm still here, right? I'm, I'm, I'm straight out of the East from Washington, D.C. And, and when I came to Utah, there were a lot of things I had to adjust to, you know, much less the basketball, the culture, um, the, the level of play in the NBA. So there, there are a lot of things. But I think the bonus is the fact that it is a small market. It is a, a community-based team. We are the only pro, you know, team in the in the in the state. So it really feels like a, a community team. I mean, you talked about the fans. You talked about it being a tough place to play. And these, this Jazz Nation, we call them, um, is is out in full force every single game. Uh, so I think when you talk about a guy who has committed like Donovan and, and other players as well, I mean, there are players like Jordan Clarkson who could be on other teams starting, right? But there's a there's a camaraderie here. There's, there's something that is infectious with this team. You have to have the right guys to do it. Um, and you have to, you know, you have to sell it to them. But uh, when you have guys in the locker room, when, when Donovan Mitchell gets here, like Joe Ingles, um, you have veteran guys who can help them mature and buy in and, until they can take the reins like Donovan has. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch, you know, from my standpoint, to watch a guy grow. Now, the ultimate goal is, is, to, is to get that ring, and you got to win games because, you know, winning, when you're winning, everything's great. But the sign of a really good team is, is what you do when you're struggling, how you come out of it. You know, you don't hear anything coming outside those locker rooms. Um, You don't see a lot of player-only meetings. So I think, uh, you know, Donovan's done a great job with absorbing 
information and, and learning and still asking questions at this this stage in his career, but also stepping up and being a leader when he needs to be. Thurl, I know the way the uh, the marathon race that the NBA is, and and I know the way it goes. And when you're running the marathon, you're focused on yourself, but you're looking around at other people too. Break down a little bit of what you see the Jazz having to get through in the West. Like I'm, I'm looking at the Lakers. I don't think they've had a great start. The Clippers are playing well without Kawhi Leonard. Phoenix is still. Phoenix has it going now, winning, you know, a double-digit winning streak. Look at some of the other teams and, and tell me how you think the Jazz have to navigate some of those, some of the opponents. Well, you're right. It is a little early to to kind of judge that because teams are going to get better as the season goes on and teams are going to get worse. I mean, you look what the Warriors doing are doing right now. Um, I, I don't see them getting any worse. I see them getting better. Um and the Suns, the Suns are tearing it up. And Jazz are right there. So, barring the things that you, again, you can't control, which are injuries, and you know every team goes through them at at some level. Um, I, I don't see anything changing as far as it being um, a traffic jam come playoff time, with you know a battle for fifth fourth, fifth, and sixth, um, the battle of, you know, uh, a team that may be on the play-in game bubble that could very well knock out a number one seed. So, uh, you know, we, we everybody talks about the Spurs and, and how, you know, they've, they've struggled during the regular season over here, but they always seem to be there, right? And so the pop always seems to find a way. Now, obviously, there are teams like the Rockets and Pelicans, um, that are struggling, uh, but they're going to beat somebody. You know, you're going to have those games from some of those top teams that you look back on and 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 say, well, if we had won this game, so you'll have those spoiler games. But right now, with the Warriors, Suns, Jazz, Mavs, Nuggets, I mean, there, there's seven, there's eight teams right now, maybe nine, who could be vying for those first five spots. So again, the West, West is tough, and so the Jazz have their Jazz have a target on their back. One because everybody knows what you get when you play the Jazz, um, and and they don't have to really do anything to get up for those kind of teams like the Jazz. So I still see the West being a logjam. Hey, Thurl, we appreciate your time and insight today. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll look forward to speaking again down the road. Thanks, Thurl. All right. Thanks, Smith and Jones. Take care. Much appreciated. There's Thurl Bailey, former NBA player, current jazz analyst on their pre- and post-game coverage as Utah hosts Toronto tonight in Salt Lake City. 9 o'clock tip as the Raptors will try and get back on the winning track. They've lost two in a row. They've lost five of their last six. They're a game below 500, so an important one tonight for the Toronto Raptors. Again, folks, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones like, rate, review, and tune in every single day. Whether it's live or whether it's on the podcast, make sure you've got it dialed into Smith and Jones.